uh, Stanford O'Connor for about 31 years. Um, I'm a psychiatrist in the Sacramento area, and I also teach, there we are, that's me, um, meditation and um, also um, some developed meditation practices and curricula and some writing. So this is going to be a real brief um, kind of how-to, as well as a couple of um, um, guided meditation um, practices here over the next 20 minutes. I'm interested in, in uh defining specifically and clearly and easily what mindfulness and meditation is, and then um, engaging in why it's helpful, uh, why it's sometimes hard to start anyway. We'll do a little bit of breath meditation, and then um, also a, uh, which is kind of a vitamin form of it, and then a kind of a Band-Aid, which is a, a hybrid practice that involves some relaxation breathing and also some meditative um, imagination uh, to help with uh, difficult practices or difficult moments like uh, panic and other things. Um, there's also some resources. I've placed a couple of handouts in the uh, files form that you can use and print out and give to patients. Um, there's an article on incorporating meditation tra training into a psych practice in something called the Psychiatric Times, also known as all the news that's fit to blame your mother for, I think. Okay, you're a tough audience. Anyway, um, that you can find that just typing my name in Psychiatric Times. There is a guided meditation um, that you can get on the podcast called Carlat Psychiatry that they asked me to do about that, uh, that rescue practice. And then I have a book coming out on this um, called Pro Practical Mindfulness. Um, it actually has as a part of it an appendix of, uh, for doctors and teachers on how to teach other people meditation briefly. That was just to put in there to prove to our surgical colleagues that not all appendixes have to be taken out. Thank you, I'll be here all week. Okay, so we're gonna talk about mindfulness and meditation, and then we're actually gonna breathe a little bit and then weave it back into integrating it into our own patient care and teaching. What is mindfulness? You've probably heard this name of uh, this word all over the place. Uh, it can mean lots of different things. Um, my own sense of it is it's a capacity. It's a capacity of the mind that's separate than our sensing, which is a biologic, physiologic, somatic aspect, um, feelings, which is our, our emotional tone, and then thought process, which can be uh, past thoughts and future speculation and, um, and creative ideation. Uh, so it's witnessing those phenomena apart from, or at least including what judgmental spin we place on it. That's mindfulness. It's a, it's a, it's a capacity. And as, if you've ever read uh, any works of uh, John Kabat-Zinn, who's sort of a uh, heavy hitter, who's brought a lot of the, the, the um, Eastern aspects of, of mindfulness practices to the West, um, his three-part definition is moment-to-moment, non-judgmental awareness. And if you unpack that, we're talking about not thinking, but just attending, um, that it's right now rather than there and then, which is also attending to symbolic structures of the mind or thought. And it's meant to be non-judgmental or as least judgmental as possible. Non-judgmental is really an aspiration. We are judgment machines. We have things happen to us and we experience them and then we react to them. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But this is a different capacity than that. So if mindfulness is Wimbledon, then meditation is, is practicing your backhand. Um, I have very high <laughs> aspirations for you. Um, so it's, it's the practice of learning this, this how to cultivate this attentional quality or capacity called mindfulness. 
And uh, in meditation, we think of it as an organized and an intentional practice, not a disorganized. And um, I'll see how it goes practice. So practicing in a room while um, um, Call of Duty is on or Nerf balls are flying, not a, an optimal condition. Um, deciding maybe sometime in between something, I maybe I'll sit for a minute, not as optimal as, as also. So we try to generate the conditions so we can practice this early because even though it's not hard to teach, it's not that easy to do at first or sometimes ever some days. So we're sharpening awareness via basically a three-step of we attend to things, we lose attention and we gain it back. And then lather, rinse, repeat a couple hundred thousand times and it starts becoming easier and better to do that with more clarity on a particular topic and more stability in holding it on something without losing it into discursive thought or being lost. So what it's not is it's not thinking. Thinking's great and sitting in contemplation is fine, but meditation's about observing the thinking as it's happening, coming and going. The other part that it's not is it's not an empty head. When I teach this, sometimes I'm in the, uh, people will come back after the initial lesson. They'll say, I can't do this because I couldn't get my mind to be quiet and empty. And I say, welcome. That's just the way minds are. We can't ever empty our heads fully short of having brain death. So the, the intention is that sometimes it can be calm and clarified and that's great. And other times it's not, but we're actually watching whatever happens, not the content of what's there. So you've probably heard about all the therapeutic benefits of meditation. It's calming, it, we, it, we tolerate and adapt to states of suffering, it cures bunions, it's got a vaccine coming, it's done all, it, not that stuff, but it does reinforce belonging. And uh, therapeutically, it's inevitable that we feel calmer when we get a little bit better at not just the, the event or the phenomena of that experience in the moment, but our reaction to it becomes less OMG, becomes, oh, I've sat with that before, I know what that's like. My reaction to this experience gets changed and calmed. I have more experience and competence in that. Um, down the road, there's a diagnostic benefit I find. Um, and this may be more of a psychotherapy thing, but also in just anybody's contemplative aspect of their life is that, um, that losing and regaining has its own benefit to it. It's part of the practice. It's not a loss of the practice. When we start losing, um, we're attending to something and then our mind runs off to some chatter. After a while, we start recognizing there's certain things that generate mindlessness, that there's a certain thought that generates a certain feeling state or a certain, certain emotional tone. And on the shoulders of losing attention or bringing it back, we start diagnostically recognizing some stuff in our lives generate more tension for us. And that's a good thing. I think also for, um, for practitioners, uh, whether they're in medicine, in um, teaching, um, having generating a, and cultivating a kind of calm and compassion through things like um, sitting with aspirational qualities of things like compassion, gratitude, it it creates and cultivates a uh, something that's very much with our Hippocratic oath. Um, nevertheless, it's hard to fit it in. It's hard to fit it in for anybody, especially uh, uh, physicians. And then there's a lot of skepticism about it. I, I wrote the book because I, while I've studied um, meditation for about 25 years and I've read just about everything on it, uh, secular and non-secular, a lot of times there's a lot of myst uh, mystical stuff, a lot of new age stuff. My father-in-law called it frou-frou. That picture there is crystals and granola if you look down in the, the bottom corner. So it's poorly measurable 
And sometimes we're turned off by the non-rational aspect of it. So the intention in this is to recognize that even though those things could be lovely, and I do appreciate some of them, um, it's also just a simple, secular, very trainable tactic. All right, so we're gonna uh, sit with in breath meditation for a little bit, but here are the grand directions. Everybody, if you've got the hands, do a drum roll, please, ready? Watch your breath. Lose watching your breath. And then when you become aware of having lost it without holding a show trial or a grand jury, come back to watching the breath. All right, thanks. And I'll see you later. Bye. No, that, so, but that's all there is. That's the actual directions. Easy to describe, not easy to do. Um, that is a really bright fuchsia, Jerry. Okay, so if you're... Um, <laughs> If your retinas are still intact, read the rest of the slide. Um, there's a flood of phenomena that are common. There was somatic emotional, somatic input. We feel lots of thoughts, especially. And so attention loss is not a bug. It's actually part of it. So we, we can go to chatter or what's often called in the Buddhist uh, uh, canon monkey mind. There's dullness of sort of slipping into a, a, a dull tuned out state. These are all different kinds of losing attention. But the main thing is when you do, you go back to the intended target. Uh, a tip beyond that is oftentimes because a lot of our um, attentional loss is due to the monkey mind part of it or a lot of thought process. Um, it can be very helpful to cut when you come back again without, oh gee, I'm terrible at it, but just, oh, lost it. Now, where was I? Uh, drop back into not only the breathing, but sort of dropping into a sense of where do I feel this somatically and emotionally besides the thought? Tying those together can be very helpful in sticking with it. All right, we're gonna practice. So unless, I'm sure all of you have brought your meditation cushions. I just carry mine everywhere. No, I'm just, so if you have one of these and wanna sit on the ground, do that fine. I'll just give you a little tip that when people sit right on top of it, it's not as effective as sort of, Sitting down on the front of it, what you want to have as a basic tip is having a stable three-point stance. That is your um, tailbone and then the size of your knees. Or if you're sitting in a chair right now, sit up straight and put both of your feet on the floor. Um, you don't have to do um, shadow birds or the why me. Um, you can just rest your hands. There's nothing special about it. There's, there's lots of different interesting esoteric stuff about where to put your hands and what they may mean in certain wisdom traditions. And those are lovely, but just have them not distract you. And for this, it's usually best just to keep your eyes open, just train your eyes on a spot in front of you, but you're not studying for a test or anything. Now, oftentimes people have to want to use um, elaborate stuff to look at and sound things. Um, in the book and in my teaching for kids, I just use a regular old tuning fork. Very sciencey, right? That's all we're gonna do. So the directions here, get ready. So I'm gonna ring this. I'm gonna give you a direction to do the two point, which is breath in, breath out, repeat. When you lose your place or your mind runs off, no big deal, just bring it back. And then follow my lead because I'm gonna change it up in the middle. I'm watching the time here. All right, ready?
Don't control your breathing, just watch it. If you get lost, don't worry, just go back. going to change it up a little bit. I want you to watch your breath go in and then out. And at the bottom of that breath, pull your attention out. And take a quick snapshot of the way your body feels. In, out, body. Try that. He's up. Okay, I wasn't trying to do anything elaborate here. It's a simple watching of it, but that pivot in the middle was to recognize that this capacity is something that can be uh, moved and moved around. When people start with breath meditation, they often start with one aspect of the physical. Um, if you think about the whole landscape of our experience, and I'm not talking about neuroanatomy, but actually kind of the metaphoric um, map of what we have in our minds at any one time, there's physical stuff, there's emotional stuff, there's thought stuff, and there's maybe subtler to perceive, but a space in which those experiences are kind of happening. And then the fifth piece of that is this capacity for awareness that watches it. And that fifth piece, that that watching, aware, mindful you is the only thing that really doesn't change except for when you're asleep and not. Everything else sort of comes and goes. And see, so at some point we can stretch that out to even just witnessing whatever is arising in awareness, but that's sort of down the road in, in, as people advance in meditative practices. Just need to pull this thing over and see. Okay, looking at the chat, okay. So next thing I want to do is uh, go to this rescue practice. So that's a kind of a, a vitamin-like um, protocol or practice for people. Um, lots of people aren't sitting on cushions when they have a difficult moment, like a panic attack or an urge to self-harm, road rage, uh, suicidation, suicidal ideation. This can be very helpful for people with PTSD phenomena, like flashbacks or nightmares. Um, and also for people who have craving, whether that's for um, carbs 
or additives or um, substances. So this is kind of a hybrid because it combines relaxation breathing, which is not technically meditation. We've probably all learned from the whole Herbert Benson relaxation breathing tactic or learned it from Lamaze classes or other kind of relaxation training of um, relaxation breathing, which I'm gonna show you in a second, just to remind you. And then with each, with each breath, we're gonna use a little bit of a meditative tactic that we just tried a minute ago of dropping with each breath into each of those phases, the body, the emotion, the thought process, and then a final breath, step back out to witness you and you witnessing you, kind of a meta idea. So quick review of relaxation breathing. Remember, you don't have to use your hands, but instead, most of the time we just breathe with our upper chest, but in relaxation breathing, we actually blow out our abdomen first, pulling down the diaphragm and then upper chest and then hold it and then a slow relaxation. So pick a moment, um, you can make one up. Uh, it could be say uh, you were about to give a presentation and uh, you kicked the um, cord and the whole thing went south. I heard that happen to one of my colleagues yesterday. That would be a really difficult moment um, or any other one. And, and we're gonna practice with these four breaths. So got that moment. Obviously when you're teaching this to people, you're gonna say, if you're in a meeting, you're gonna step out or go to a bathroom stall or take a walk, find a place that you've got some optimal conditions for a brief breather. So breath one is in. And then when you breathe out, imagine breathing attention into the way this moment feels physically. Breath two, and breathe that into your chest, your heart. For kids, I say, witness what weather's inside. Is it rainy or stormy? Breath three, and the exhalation goes upstairs. How am I experiencing this as catastrophic thinking, rumination, Maybe it's all gone blank upstairs. Just take a snapshot of it. And then the last breath is actually you kind of stepping back out and witnessing the whole layer cake of body, heart, and head, and you being the observer of it. And that's the mindful breather. So this isn't meant to take a, a substitute for other kinds of really important intervention. So I use this as a part of a protocol with patients where they'll try this first or even try it a couple times. And if they're having trouble, then of course they may use a medication um, rescue such as Xanax or Seroquel or something like that, or that's the time to contact me or 911. But I think it's a useful stress management uh, piece of the toolkit, just like we teach nutrition and sleep hygiene and journaling and things like that. As for especially breath meditation, but both of these, you can teach this and I think you should, but you should really start with yourself because if you don't know what it's like to wrestle with this experience and to get some sense of how it helps and, and the uh, obstacles to it, it's um, harder to prove it to others. So I would say uh, see one, do one and teach one just like everything else we learned in med school. There's some, a lot of good apps for this like Calm and Headspace. There's books about them. I hear there's one coming out soon. Uh, learn some ways to do it. Um, but I think this is something that uh, we can add to our armamentarium, so to speak, of stress management tools. And it's not just for um, new agers. 
And with that, I thought I was, I was watching the birds by Hitchcock when I made that slide, I'm sorry. But anyway, um, let me just see if there's anything in the chat room that I can answer. Poorly measured, not poorly measurable. That's true. There's actually getting a more measurable, uh, um, more measuring of meditation um, in terms of witnessing QEEGs and changes in uh, brainwave, um, in fMRI and seeing how the brain calms down. And interestingly, that when people meditate, what lights up most is the prefrontal cortex, which is probably kind of the next developmental age of our developing uh, minds and brains after brainstem, limbic, and cortex. Um, liberate app, anti-racist meditation. Uh, to Michelle, I actually just wanted to uh, mention briefly that I had a really potent experience teaching this at the Society of, of uh, Teachers of Family Medicine last week in which um, we were doing the breath meditation and somebody said, um, that they couldn't do that because when they sat with the breath, all they could think about was George Floyd, which is awful, right? Um, I could, I, we all paused a little bit with tears in our eyes, but, um, or at least some of us, I did, and, and then uh, moved to the, you know, anodyne answer of the fact that one can meditate on the heartbeat and other things, but it's another way in which this is, um, meditation can help, but it's also has been influenced by the experiences of the last year not to mention the last 400. So when somebody is carb craving, you suggest them to have them pause and do this? Yes, I do. Oftentimes just having a minute where they're attending to something and recognizing, wow, I sat with that experience and nothing bad happened. Gravity still works and the sun comes up is enough for them to hold off a little bit. So I'll use this like anybody might use another um, uh, cognitive behavioral tactic and sometimes weave it in with that. Can we teach all this to help patients with sleep hygiene to use to decrease use of sleep aid meds? Uh, yeah, I think so, but I would wanna hazard against that meditation is ultimately an, an active experience of the mind. While people feel calmer, uh, doing relaxation breathing is actually to head towards uh, the mindlessness of sleep, so to speak. So I think this can help with people if they're having a lot of chatter upstairs in terms of um, sitting in meditation. And I sit uh, before I uh, go to bed, but I don't use it as a practice as in terms of falling asleep. Uh, I think that's it. I think we're done. Thank you for attending. I appreciate it. Take care. You're muted, Morgan. <laughs> Greg, before you go. Hi. Can, can you talk a little more about the difference between the, I, I mean, I get, this has been a very mindful experience. And, and I had an experience of using breathing uh, as, as, as a way to relax before sleep and to help with sleep. Uh, you know, I, I guess in its simplest form and probably absolutely wrong, a way of counting sheep. Um, yeah. But it worked within 10 breaths. I mean, it turned everything off and one could let oneself go into that sleep mode and not let the other yeah. stuff interfere. Talk well, a little bit so, about that. Yeah. So while I don't think of meditation as a, it, it's, 
in its pure form, it's really not a, a, a way of trying to turn the brain off as much as you're describing something very beneficial about something's intruding upon my ability to honor slipping into that sleep cycle. <laughs> and so having a way of um, mostly here's some thoughts, but I don't have to react to it as opposed to here's some thoughts. And then here's the secondary radioactivity of, will I ever get rid of them or I have to solve them now or else I'm not allowed to go to sleep. I mean, the old analytic idea about why we ruminate at night is we think we're gonna sort of borrow from sleep to fix the problem so we don't have to fix it tomorrow. Something actually where journaling can help too is just sort of put down, here's what I got on my mind right now. I'm sort of clearing it out and then just witnessing the mind as it's heading downward. So I think it can be helpful, yeah. Okay, guys, take care. Thank you, Morgan. Absolutely, thank you so much, Dr. Sazima. And uh, do please all, uh, if you're able to, take a quick moment to uh, complete a survey that gives Dr. Sazima feedback and it also gives all of us feedback about what serves you and uh, continue enjoying your CME. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs>